Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. see you here and we have an opportunity to study the word of God. I was driving up the road the other day with a gentleman in my car and uh, we were discussing things and so uh, one of the things that came up of course which I steered it to do so was the study of the scriptures and he said oh yeah I know all about Jesus. Well I was impressed. Yeah he says uh, I know all about Jesus. My wife studies the Bible all the time. Well, I didn't know if being just associated with his wife would make him know about Jesus, but that's fine. So I looked at him and I said, well, do you know anything about God? Oh, I know all about God. Well, I said, you know, that's a subject I've studied for a year or two, and I don't think I know all about it yet. Oh, well, he said, "Um, if you have any questions, ask me and I'll explain it to you. Well, I was was greatly impressed. I I thought... uh, Man, I have run across somebody that I've been looking for for 50 or 60 years at least. I said, let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus come to earth? Oh, he said he came to save me. I said, how do you know? Well, he came to save the whole world. I said, what is the world that he came to save? He saved all mankind. I said, now, if you know about God, do you know anything about the Holy Spirit? No, I don't know that much about the Holy Spirit. I said, well, he's the guy you got to deal with because he's the one that had written down what we are taught and what we believe. Christ didn't have anything to do with that. Neither did God the Father. It was by their complicity and direction, but he's the one that had everything written down. When the scriptures say, write, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the directing. Well, what's that got to do with it? I said, well, have you ever checked in the writings of the Holy Spirit as to see why Christ came to the earth? Well, no. Do you know what it says? I said, yes. Can I quote it to you? He said, okay, quote it to me. I said, Jesus came to this earth to marry the church. Well, I never heard of that. And I've been studying the Bible a while. I said, well, let's find a verse of Scripture that teaches it. Turn to the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. As was read in your hearing this morning, we'll look at it again. Because this is the great mystery that Paul says he speaks concerning. He says, therefore... 
Let's start with verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. What is it that Jesus saved? Well, now, if he says he's the Savior of the body, you've got to understand it's the body that he saved. What is the body? Well, we're going to find out in a minute. Therefore, as Christ is sub- as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, the same two things are mentioned and uh, define each other. He's the Savior of the body, and he died to save the church. So the church and the body are the same thing both of which Christ died to buy. Look at verse 23 and then verse 25. Then he goes on, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That's the how or the means by which he was to save the church, which we'll talk about. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she or that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, if you got to hear the part of the radio program that got to play this morning before it got canceled out or whatever was going on, uh, I have more trouble with those radio programs than I could imagine. The word it is the pet name Christ calls the church. She is the it, the one and only. There is no other way to describe her. When you find something so far out of range for anything else to be characterized by, you call it the it. So, the it, that which is his church, that which is his body, that which is his bride, is used by Christ to describe the church. Verse 28. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He loved his wife, loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his church, of his body, of that that he purchased of that that he gave his life for. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man cleave, leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his, fle- unto his wife, and they too, too shall be one flesh. He's going to leave his father. He's going to be joined to his wife. Keep that in mind. Because this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Why did Christ come to the earth? That he got married the church. Look at the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, and the 28th verse. Paul met the elders from Ephesus at Miletus, and he said, Take heed unto yourself and to the whole flock, over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers. To feed the church of God, which he, God, purchased with his, God's own blood. Jesus then bought the church. He purchased her. And the price of ransom was his blood. That's Acts 20 and 28. He purchased her with his own blood. So, He came to this world, and when he came to this world, he came to get married. They whom he married would be his body, 
R would be his church. If he married his body or his church, he married her because he bought her. And she is called it. When he bought her, he bought her with his blood so that we could see it was a ransom. Now, a ransom is that which you pay for somebody who's held in captivity. They who are ransomed by Christ were held in the captivity of sin. And when Jesus bought her, he paid the price with his blood to uh, alleviate her or to get her out of the ransom of sin that she might be holy and without blemish. Or the blood that he gave for her to purchase made it free, made her free from sin. Now turn to the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter, and let's look and see what the parable has to teach us concerning the pearl of great price. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and as he teaches, I believe it begins with about verse 46, he gets here and he says, there was a merchant man who sought goodly pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold, sold all that he had that he might purchase her. So he gave all for her. He gave his life's blood. And he made it possible that she could be by that blood ransomed. Matthew 20 and verse 28. He came to ransom us. As many of us as were ransomed by his blood are they who are a part of the body of Christ. Galatians 5, 26, Paul says, For you are all the children of God by faith. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore we have been purchased as we have Christ, and we've been covered by him in his blood. And the place that we meet his blood is in baptism, for that is where the blood of Christ meets us and washes away our sins. So he came to get married. Paul, though, says this is a mystery. Remember in our reading, he said, Behold, I show you a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. A mystery is something that was known but not revealed. And now he says this mystery is revealed. As always, as we find out from the study of the scriptures, the Bible teaches in types and antitypes are parables, are in physical stories to reveal spiritual truths. And as this teaching takes place, we can understand it. Now, I want you to hold your finger in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, if, you can, if you're doing such, 
and flip back to, with me to the very first story that was told about Adam in this world. Turn to the book of Genesis, the second chapter. In Genesis, the second chapter, I mean the first chapter, God said in verse 26, Let us make man in our image after the likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all earth and over every creeping things. So God created man in his own image. And he blessed them. You notice he keeps talking about them, not him. So we got to find out when Adam became a them. And when they became an M, uh, them, this is the story. Are you with me? In Genesis 2. That's where I started, but I thought we better uh, tag up. Verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. And you know this story. It'll be simple for you. But it'll be something that'll teach a truth so profound that you can't miss it. And if you can, you're going to have professional help, and they're trying to destroy your soul. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man that he should be alone. I'll make him a helpmeet. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that's the name thereof. You know what I find interesting, folks, all around the world? They deny that Adam existed, but they use, use the names that Adam called the animals. They ought to put up or shut up. They ought to forget the names or forget the fact that Adam didn't exist. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib with which he, the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Now all this is comprehended when you read with me verses 15 through 17 of the same chapter. Genesis 2, ready? And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it, for in the day that thou eat of it thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Now when man was here on the earth and all alone, he began to be lonely. And as he began to be lonely, he went looking in the earth. And as he went looking into the earth, he found he didn't find anything that was like unto him. It wasn't anything suitable to him. It wasn't anything that he could marry or be a part of. Oh, I know they tell us that the monkeys and the orangutans and all those things are supposed to be that which generate from man. They don't reproduce with each other. Adam was looking for something that was like himself. And he was looking for something like himself and he couldn't find anything like unto himself. And so in chapter 1 and verse uh, 25, the Lord God made every kind of beast of the field and he didn't make anything that was like Adam. 
And because he didn't make anything like Adam, Adam was lonely. And God said, it's not good to be alone. So what happened is that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And when he went into this deep sleep, he took a rib out of the side of Adam and made a woman and brought her unto the man. This sleep of death is something that's characterized by the passing of life. And this passing of life occurred and woman came from man. So they, they in chapter 1, is now defined as Adam and Eve because Eve was taken from the side of woman. So when God came to this world, Christ was looking for something like himself. The Bible teaches in John, the first chapter, if you'll flip over very quickly and follow me, he was in the world, verse 10, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, which were born not of man, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, nor of flesh, but of God. Christ came to this world, and he came to his own, and there was none like him. So when he came to this world, and he couldn't find anything that he could marry, that was like himself, God did for him like he did for Adam. He pronounced that he would go through the sleep of death. And in the sleep of death, from the side of Christ, he would take that that was like Christ. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Now, in Matthew, the 19th chapter, if for no other place, the Bible tells us about Jesus being on Calvary's tree. Hanging there on Calvary's tree, it tells us that the Roman soldier took the spear and thrust it into his side. And when he thrust it into his side, forthwith came there out blood and water. And when that blood and water came out, that was the price that Jesus paid for the ransom of the church. Now, there's a lot of people in the world who don't understand why Jesus came. But he came to get married. It was a pattern that he had established. And as he established this pattern... It came to be such as that means by which the church could come into existence. For Jesus came to his own, he came to the Jewish nation, but the Jewish nation received him not. But there would be one who would receive him. That would be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She would come from his side in death. And John 19, it's not Matthew 19. In John the 19th chapter, it teaches about Jesus. Let me just look because I gave you the wrong text. In John the 19th chapter, 
it talks about the Roman soldier who took the uh, sword and thrust it into his side. Yes. Look at uh, verse uh, 28. We'll read. And this Jesus, knowing that all things were now fulfilled, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now it set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that he, they might break their legs, that they might be taken away, because that would cause the blood to flush out in the bottom extremities of their body being hanging on that tree, and they would bleed to death. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first, I'm in verse 32, and the other which was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, and they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it by record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. And all these things were done that the scriptures might be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. When Jesus came and died, he died on Calvary's tree. And when the blood and water came forth from his side, as the Roman soldier took the spear, it came out the purchase price by which he bought the church. This was he who bought the pearl of great price, who gave all that he had to purchase her. This is that which is explaining the great mystery concerning Adam going into all the animal kingdom and looking for one likened to himself and couldn't find any. And when he couldn't find any, God put him into the sleep of death and from his side came out Eve, the mother of all living, where Christ went to the Calvary's tree and on the cross of Calvary, out of the sleep of death, came blood and water. And this blood and water is the purchase price or the price of ransom for the pearl of great price. Why did Christ come to this world? To get married. Somebody will say, well, he came to buy the whole world. No, no, no. The verse that a lot of people read and don't understand is what we're going to look at now. Turn to John three sixteen. I keep having to go back to this verse because most of the time people don't understand it when they read it. They've been told that this says something it doesn't say at all. And all you've got to do is read it and see it. In John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, wait a minute. They say, there it is. God so loved the world. Okay, but what world did God love? Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For whom did he give his only begotten son? The world. What world did he give his only begotten son to purchase? The church. He's the savior of the body. He purchased the church. The price of ransom came out of the side of Christ in the sleep of death. And when that price was given, he bought the church with his blood. God so loved the church 
that he gave his only begotten son for the church. For the church is she for whom Christ died. Acts 20 and 28 again. We, uh, he says, uh, take heed to yourself to the whole flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, Christ, purchased with his Christ's own blood. He bought her with his blood. He bought her on Calvary's tree when the price of ransom came from her side, when his blood was shed, so that he can wash us by water and the word. Or he can present us purified, holy. He could take this blood that we meet in the water and wash us free from our sins. So when he presents him, him or her to himself, he presents him, her holy without spot or without wrinkle or any such thing. It's the story of Adam and Eve that's played in Christ in the church. One is the type the physical, the other is the antitype, the spiritual, but one is given to explain the other. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave herself for it. He purchased his body, which is his church, which is his bride, with his blood. Now, if you missed that, we need to go over it again. And as we do, we go through the same process. He came and bought the pearl of great price. When he bought the pearl of great price, he gave all that he had. When he gave his all, he gave his blood. When he gave his blood, when it came from his side, this blood was used to purchase the church. The church was that which that blood would make holy without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. When this occurred, this tells us of the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Old Adam was lonely. God said it's not good for man to live alone. So Adam went out looking into the world. And he went out and he saw these, that, and the other. None of them suited him. God said, I'll just cause you to go into a sleep of death. In the sleep of death, I'll take a rib from your side. This rib I'll take and use to make a woman. This woman then will be presented to you. And guess what God called her? Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. When he purchased her, why? By making her the same as he or the, as the, that which is compatible with himself. She is like him in every respect. So she would have to be holy without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so the price by which he bought the church is that means by which he made her perfect, complete, sinless, and holy. Now go back to Ephesians 5 again, and you'll see how easy this reads. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, his wife, and gave himself for her, for it, the it, his bride. He gave himself for her, for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. This it is the church. He does it by the washing of water, by the word. Through the preaching of the gospel, people learn that they got to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Why? That he, Christ, might present it, the church, to himself a glorious church. She's without sin. 
There's no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And she's holy without blemish. And can remain such as long as she walks in the light as he is in the light. For this reason, man ought to treat his wife that way. But so that goes by. Paul says in verse 30, For we, the church, the bride, the purchased, are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are same and we're the same as he. We thou are now compatible. And we can be in a marriage relationship with Christ. God so loved the church that he gave his only begotten son for the church. That whosoever continues to believe in him in the church might not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth not on the Son has condemned himself already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But now let's just keep going. Now hopefully you got this story. I said, have you ever heard this story before? Well, no, I've never heard it quite like that. I said, okay, let's go one step further. You want me to tell you a little about Jesus? Yeah, tell me a little more about Jesus. I said, okay, I'm real happy to do that. Was Jesus a sinner? I don't know of anybody that's going to be bold enough to call Jesus a sinner. But there are some people that probably will. If Jesus was a sinner, then what I'm going to tell you next is okay. If he's not, I hope it will shake you into reality to understand the truth. In a world today, in our society... And amongst the societies of most of the world, there is a thing called polygamy. Polygamy is where a man is married to more than one wife. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints was run out of eastern United States and run over to Salt Lake City, Utah, because they wanted to practice polygamy. They still have a sect amongst them that do that. And that's against the law of this land. So far, they'll change that a little later. They've changed them all anyway. But polygamy is against the law of the land. That means a, mar- a man is married to more than one woman. Now, according to the law of God, you can't do that in a spiritual relationship as with Adam and Eve. You say, uh-oh, I know where you're going. When Jesus married the church, and Jesus is called the Christ, Christ in marrying the church married one woman. This woman bore his name as the mother of all living, and she is called the Church of Christ. Did you tell me Jesus was a sinner? If Jesus is a sinner, he can be married to more than one woman. So Jesus could be married to the Baptist woman. Or he could be married to the Pentecostal holiness woman. Or he could be married to the Roman Catholic woman that Daddy Fran's the head of. Or he could be married to the, you name it. 
If it doesn't matter how many women Jesus is married to, if that's not a sin, then Jesus could be married to all of these. But if Jesus is only married to one and but one, she should wear his name, be subject to his authority, and will be like he is because his blood will continue to wash her from sin. Now in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we've already learned by the study that the body is the church and the church is the bride and the church is one. But listen, somebody says, well, the Bible doesn't say there's one and but one. Well, you just not read enough. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 20. And now are there many members, yet but one body. There's only one body that Jesus has. That's his church. There's one and but one. She's the one to whom he is married. She is married to him, and she is of his likeness without sin, stated as such as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She's without blemish. She's spotless. She's not wrinkled. Her sins can be washed away because in being in Christ, she's added to this body. And as she walks in the light, as he is in the light, she can have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will continually cleanse her from sin because she's walking in the light. As she's walking in the light, she's married. Now, in the book of Romans, the 7th chapter, Paul said, you become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you might be married to another, even to him whom God hath raised from the dead that you might bring forth fruit unto him. We are married to Christ. The reason Jesus came to this world was so he could get married. And when he got married, he could cleanse us from sin. Because we meet the purchase price of the bride, which is blood and water, and it washes away our sins, and it makes us like he is. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh are without sin. Now, as he's married, he's only married to one. And if he's not a sinner, he has to only have one. But if he has all these other wives, man, he'd make Solomon look like a starter. I think Solomon had 200 wives and 300 concubines and 100 spares. Today, if I'm not mistaken, there's probably six, or somebody said 1,600, I don't know, different denominations in this world and they all claim to be married to Christ. How were they married to Christ? They just told you they were. Do they wear his name? Oh, no. Well, isn't it kind of a strange thing that a man's wife doesn't wear his name? Now, the church of Christ is the church of the anointed, but Jesus is the anointed one, so we're the church that belongs to the anointed one in the Hebrew language. So Christ married the church. He's not a bigamist. He's not a polygamist. He's only married to 
one woman and but one. How many wives did Adam have? Everybody tries to make Adam have so many wives because he had so many youngins. Listen, my friend, honey, he only had one woman. Now, she might have bore him a lot of children, but she was a good woman to be able to do that. She is, according to the Bible, the name Eve means the mother of all living. There ain't no other youngins that Adam had but didn't come from Eve. No, he didn't have Jennifer. He didn't have Joan. He didn't have uh, Sheila. He didn't have Felicia. He didn't. No, it's just Eve. Jesus only has Christ church, the church of Christ. She's the only one through which he brings forth children. And when he brings forth these children, it's through that one woman and but one. Unless Jesus is a sinner. And if Jesus is a sinner, what are we doing here this morning? Because if he's a sinner, he's no better off than you and I. So why did Jesus come to this earth? He came to get married. He came here to come in amongst men. He came into his own, his own received him not. He just like Adam went out there amongst the animals, couldn't find anything like unto himself. And so God caused him to have a sleep of death. Christ died on the cross. When God in the sleep of death took Eve out of the side of Adam and the sleep of death with Christ, he took the church out of the side of Christ. And the church that came out of the side of Christ is that being individual of human nature that's washed in the blood of Christ as they are buried with Christ in water. It's through the washing of the water by the word. We are baptized into Christ. Our sins are washed away and we're resurrected. You know what the Bible says after we're resurrected? Well, in Acts, the second chapter, and you've heard me quote this many times, they cried out in verse 38 to Peter and the best of the apostles, said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins. Then verse 42, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor of all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily. Those who were washed in water, meeting the blood. What is it you said you knew about Christ? Do you believe he's a sinner? Do you believe he's a bigamist? Or do you think he's a polygamist? Is Jesus the head of all of these bodies, these churches, these denominations that exist? Or is he only the head of Now let's look again at Ephesians 5, because that's where we started. It says here, and again I'll read our quote, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that's the name he has for the church, with the water by the word, that he might present it, that's the name for the church, he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it, that's the church, should be holy and without blemish. So it's going to be like him without sin. Or we're going to be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. When I was a young preacher, I used to try to figure out what one of my bones was like Jesus. 
Well, in the spiritual reality, spirits don't have bones and flesh. Jesus taught us that, Luke 24 and about verse 48. A spirit hath not flesh and bone, blood, as you see me have. So what we are is in his likeness spiritually. We are free from sin. Forgiven of sin because we've been washed in the water by the word. And there's only one church that does that. There's only one church in the world that teaches that you repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins. And then Jesus adds them to his body because they're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And Paul said this is a great mystery. It was something that people didn't understand. Now it's revealed. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. I submit if you miss this, you have a problem. Why did Jesus come to this world? Because of everybody? No. He came to find the church. Was she here? No. So how did he get her? He went to Calvary. And there at Calvary, like Adam, that spear let the part out of his anatomy that would make us like him spiritually. We could become sinless. And as that blood and water came out, so we have to meet that blood and water to be sinless. So we're commanded to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And just as soon as we do that, Christ himself will turn around and add him, us, you and I, to his church. When I was a little boy, my mom and daddy were going to have me, and I had two other siblings. And these siblings were a brother and a sister. And when I started to come along, they didn't call them together and say, hey, we're going to vote now as to whether or not we're going to let this kid become part of the family. Now, Daddy was the father, and Mama was the mother, and she was pregnant, and I was coming along, and they didn't ask anybody for permission. And when I was born, you know what they did? They put down my name, and they put down the last name of my father. Isn't that a strange deal? They didn't call me Smith. They didn't call me uh, any other name. They called me Wilson. O.D. Wilson put down on my birth certificate that my name was David Wilson. Everybody now calls me Joe. Why is it they didn't say David Snodgrass? Snodgrasses are good people. I know some of them. I would almost say that for Mincer, but I'd have to hold that. <laughs> Seriously. You see, when you are brought into existence into a family, you are added to that family just as soon as you're born. We do that in the physical realm. And when we are born of water in the spirit, in the spiritual realm, the Bible says in Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Or was Christ a sinner? Unfortunately, there was only one church in Jerusalem that day other than the Judean church, and it had gone out of business. It just didn't know it. 
The only church in Jerusalem that was in existence that day was that which was made up of those who repented and were baptized for the remission of sins. And they became sinless because they'd heard the word and they'd been washed in water. Why did my Savior come to earth? He came to get married. And he married one and but one. And he made her sinless before she was covenanted with him in marriage. And she was washed in the watery grave of baptism. So we're bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. If you're here and you need more study on this, I'll be glad. I got plenty of time. We'll sit down and study it in parts and pieces, put it all together again, take it apart, do whatever you want to. But you're going to find out there's one thing about the Holy Spirit. When he wrote it down once, it's exactly what he meant, and he's not going to change his mind. You may not agree with him, but guess what? He's God, you're not. If I was you, I'd get in line. I'd do what he told me. Whatever your need is, however we may help you, you can be baptized into Christ this morning if you haven't been. Water's available, clothing's ready. You can become a member of the Church of Christ if you'll become like Christ this morning, and that is free from sin. And the way you become free from sin is you meet his blood as you're baptized into Christ. If you believe that he's the son of God, will you come as we stand and sing? As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Good evening. Welcome to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Every time I get the opportunity to come up here and present a sermon or a lesson, I always find it kind of interesting because I always end up learning as I go through and do the research, try to figure out what to study on, what I'm going to present on, and talk about. And tonight I'd like to talk about godliness. Do you have it figured out? Now, I want to first start off with a little bit of time. Like they always say, time heals all wounds. As time passes, you forget about stuff. And there's other kinds of time cliches that you can kind of throw in there as well. But time becomes a thief when time causes us to take people for granted. Time weakens the greatest love if time causes two people who love each other to take each other for granted. Time also weakens the bonds of the greatest friendship if time causes the friendship to take each other for granted. Now, we let time as Christians, we let time rob us as Christians and also as the church. Time has convinced us that Christianity and the church is just another religious system. Time has also kind of convinced us that we take the system for granted. Time convinced us that trusting a system is more important than trusting Christ. Now think about that for a second. How many people just go to church, they do whatever the preacher says, they're done, they go home, and they trust the system rather than actually trusting Christ and trusting the Bible. Now has time convinced you to oversimplify Christianity by substituting correctness for your faith? Now too many Christians think that being a Christian and being part of the church is just a matter of identifying the right system and plugging into it. 
eh, I just found the right Baptist church. I'm just going to plug into it, and I'm good to go. I'm, I'm saved. Once saved, always saved, right? Now, Christianity is just a matter of obedience, right? God is God. I'm not. You're not God. But because He's God, we are not. So we're just going to obey Him. So we all have to find the right system and just plug into it. You must find the right system. You must learn what you're supposed to do. Then just do it. And a person is spiritually okay if he or she is obedient in the right system. Now, do you really think that it's just something that simple that you can just plug into that system and, and that's it? You know, just plug and chug, right? <laughs> now, this evening, I want you to consider two examples that I have here to talk about tonight. Now, the first example is of King David in the Old Testament in Israel. Who here knows that story of King David? Now, the Old Testament Judaism was based on a specific set of laws and a specific religious system that came from God. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, it says, Commandment number six in the ten, of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Right? You've heard that commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 14, the commandment number seven of Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Right? In Exodus chapter 21, verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be surely put to death. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17, if you take the life of any human being, you shall be surely Put to death. Now, that's pretty clear, right? It's pretty simple to understand, and it's very specific. You commit adultery, you die. You commit murder, you die, right? It's purely black and white. There's no gray area that's there to misinterpret. <laughs> and in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 12, it records King David's greatest spiritual failure that he had. Now, David was an exceptional man of God, who raised the concept of godliness to a whole new level. But, like all of us, David was tempted, and through that temptation, David ended up falling. His army was attacking the Ammonites at the city of Rabbah. Instead of leading his troops, David was at home in Jerusalem, hanging out. One evening, as he walked on the roof of his palace, he looked down on a beautiful woman bathing in her home. He found out who she was, and he sent for her, and he seduced her. As a result, she conceived, and she informed David of her condition. She was pregnant. Her husband was a soldier in David's army, though. So David said, ah, I've got an idea. I'm going to send for him. Now, David hoped that Uriah would come home, spend the night with his wife, and conceal David's sin, taking a lie and covering it up with another lie. But because of Uriah's personal code of honor, he refused to visit his wife, to let his guard down. So David said, great, now what am I going to do? So he sent him back to the army with his others for Joab to kill him by putting Uriah in the most fiercest part of battle and withdrawing from him. Jacob did as he was ordered to do. But after Bathsheba mourned her husband's death, guess what? David ended up marrying her. Now, in 2 Samuel 
chapter 11, verse 27, it declares, The thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, months later, after the child was born, Nathan, a prophet, came to David. He reported a case of gross injustice that infuriated David. Then Nathan told David that he was the guilty man. But David responds simply, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord, such as in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. That was a simple, honest confession that carried out the full expectation of death. He caused another man to die. He committed adultery, just like in the previous sins that we had talked about. And Nathan said, this is interesting, the Lord has taken away your sin and you shall not die. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, which is what we read tonight. Now think about this carefully here. The law clearly has cited, do not murder. If you kill a person, you're going to be killed too. It clearly said also, do not commit adultery. If you do, you will be killed as a result of it. Now, David did both of these things. The Lord saw it as evil, but his sin was taken away. And neither he nor Bathsheba were killed as a result of it. Now, that's kind of odd, right? Now, I want you to think about the second example here. The second example is that of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Now, the church in Jerusalem was a generous, caring congregation from the first day that it came into existence. Now, new converts with property sold them as a way to help the new converts who were in need, as in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. Now, Christians were of one heart and one soul. Instead of claiming private ownership, they all shared this resource, as in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. They were so generous that there was not one needy person in this congregation of thousands of adult members. They all congregated together. They helped each other out. They helped rise each other up. Nobody was poor. Nobody was rich. They were all completely equal. They were all successful. But not every baptized person renounced this greed. Just like in the socialist society that we always see, there's always that one guy that always messes up the whole socialist idea. Somebody wants to be more successful than the next person. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.